A third major bank goes down since March, but their buyer says don't expect another collapse. Plus, is the classic 60-40 portfolio coming back? Your market moment starts now. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. The hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Hey guys, this is Matt Walters here with Lee Mackey and a very special guest today. First time on the show, John Martfeld. How are you guys today? Good. I'm a little nervous. I'm good. Yeah, so John <laughs> is the newest advisor here at Mach 1. Super excited to have him. He'll be a regular on the podcast. Um, first first show today. but We're, we're throwing him into the fire on yep. We told him week. like 43 minutes ago that he was yeah. going to be part of this. <laughs> we, so we did. He's had a lot of time to prepare. But, but, but I think that's better because otherwise, you know, he had to fret it over the weekend and probably got so. nervous. And <laughs> so this will be fun. So today we're going to talk about First Republic, the big news over the weekend, right? The bank collapsing, J.P. Morgan coming in. Um, and then jump into the 60-40 portfolio. So um, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase thinks that the recent banking crisis is over. That's after his company bought First Republic Bank, which is taken over by the federal regulators and put up for auction over the weekend. So a couple notes here before we jump into this conversation. First Republic is now the third bank to collapse since March. Silicon Valley and Signature both went down in 48 hours. Within 48 hours, First Republic becomes the second largest, this was kind of crazy, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but just reading it, so it's the second largest bank failure in American history behind... Washington Mutual. Wash Mutual, that's right. So I think they were like a little over $300 billion back mm-hmm. in 07, 08, whenever that was. Yeah. I guess that's when they would have collapsed. So um, SVB had $209 billion at the time of closure. As of mid-March, about 70% of the deposits were uninsured. First Republic reported losing about 40% of the deposits in the first quarter. Its stock had fallen 97% as of Friday. I'm not going to lie, about three days ago I thought about buying it. Glad I didn't because yeah. it's down another like 70%. From <laughs> um, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO said, Only so many banks offsides like, like First Republic and that while there may be some other small banks that suffer, this part of the crisis is over. So... Guys, big news over the weekend. First Republic Bank, J.P. Morgan buying them. Any thoughts on this particular deal and kind of the banking issues that we've seen over the last few months? You know, this had been going on for a while. You know, it it happened over the weekend. You you know, late last week, we knew that things were going to go down over the weekend. The FDIC put it out for a bid. Um, You know, two or three of the big boys were the ones that were really entertaining it. Um, you know, I don't think it was a crisis. I don't like that word. That word implies, you know, I think the financial crisis back in 08, 09 or 07, 08, 09 was truly a crisis. I mean, it affected all of us. Right. You know, th- this was one that was so isolated and that was big, made the news. Um, but it had, you know, very little, if any, effect to any of our listeners here in Northwest Arkansas or right. wh- wherever you may be listening. So um, I-, I-, I agree with, um, 
you know, Jamie Dimon that, you know, although we may still see a few more banks here and there fail, um, you know, I think that a large part of this is behind us. Yeah. John? I, I will say I've had a few clients ask me um, if their money is safe in some of the local banks yeah. in the area. Yeah. And, you know, I, I try to reassure them that this is probably not, that you know, it's not going to extend out that much. And I agree with what Lee said. It's not going to be anything like the 2008 financial crisis. The only thing that I get nervous about, and I've been following this for quite a while, but the, are we heading toward a national bank? Yeah. And I've got some data here that kind of scares me to death yeah. in that regard, but it's kind of a macro level. We may not want to get into that here today, Yeah. but um, I, I'm nervous about about the Fed, every time we have some type of crisis, and you can go back to the 70s, 90s, 2008, and then now, what happens is the federal government steps in, and we have more regulation, and we have more federal government involvement, and you have people out there that get nervous, and so they, they tend to go to the bigger banks, and so some small banks, even if they're in great shape, lose depositors, and they, they lose their, they may end up having to sell out or whatever at some point. And that's what I worry about, this yeah. more, the macro level of, are we going to a national bank someday, which I don't want us to do as a country and nation, um, and I don't want that for our economy and so on, but that's that's my worry. Yeah, and, and I think it's a valid concern. I mean, you look at any kind of, you look at history, nations and countries throughout history, right? The longer you're in existence, the older you get as a country, the bigger government typically mm-hmm. gets, right? And so... Exactly. Uh, you know, that you could tie into national bank to that, right? You tie into the whole idea. We've talked about it like FedCoin, right? Mm-hmm. And the oversight of more financial transactions and what they have access to and what they can control. And, what they, and it's a little scary in certain ways, right? Um, but my, my view on this particular issue with First Republic, trying to kind of positive spin here, <laughs> is it's kind of capitalism working. Sure. Right? Bad banks, maybe banks that weren't ran as well as they should have been, fail, failed, and like they should be allowed to fail, yeah, to some extent, right? And that's capitalism. And there should be other banks that are ran well, that are doing well, that come in and pick up that that customer base and those assets, and 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 grow because of someone else's failures. And that's capitalism. So I don't think we need to be afraid of businesses failing, right? Um, it's a little different with it being banks, and, right. and, and they're in the headlines and a lot uh, as of late. But I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that's kind of my positive spin on it. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if, if the system that we've set up over the last couple hundred years is, is supposed to work the way we want it to, there are going to be businesses and banks that inevitably fail from time to time. You know, the two, two key points that maybe as we take away from this is, one, it was surprising that 70% of the deposits were uninsured. Yeah. You know, to me, right. some of that is on the customer. Sure. Um, you know, everybody knows what the FDIC limits are. But yet, 70% of their deposits were exposed to that risk of a potential bank failure. And then two, I think that the system worked. You know, in the case of SVB, the government let them fail. Right. As rightfully they should have. And then in this case with First Republic, the FDIC did its job. Mm-hmm. You know, they stepped in and then basically conducted an auction. Um, and you knew that, you know, somebody huge was going to pick them up. And right. they're getting... A pretty big bank for cents on the dollar and so um anyway those are those are my my takeaways from this hopefully you know this will be old news here in a few weeks and we can move on to more fun things like the fed raising rates and different yeah. things like that yeah but, i miss yeah. i miss meme stocks right Maybe oh i know, talk about I know. yeah versus bank failures. yeah so 
so on this note, right, it, I think another lesson learned is there are consequences for our actions, right? And the Fed is not um, immune to that, right? And so Correct. these are some, hey, there's going to be some downsides to when you do something. There are going to be winners and losers, right? And so some of these banks that weren't prepared for this kind of shocked to the system from an interest rate perspective um, got blown up. So rolling right into our next conversation is rising rates. And we've talked about for the last 10, 15 years, you know, the 60-40 portfolio. It was dead. Nobody was really preaching it or teaching it, or I know we weren't at least, mm-hmm. um, and promoting it as the one, you know, solution for a majority of people. Uh, but situations have changed. Rates have come up. The fixed income bond market is a much different place today than it used to be. And so... The question I have for you guys, and I'm going to give a little bit of explanation to the listeners real quick before I hand it off, but is the 60-40 portfolio back? And so for those of you that might not be aware, 60-40 portfolio, right, it's kind of built on the whole modern portfolio theory, the efficient frontier. You allocate a certain amount of money to of your portfolio to equities, a certain amount to fixed income, and depending on your risk tolerance, you're going to have you know maybe 60% in equities, 40% in bonds, and that's going to give you that efficient allocation to maximize return while controlling risk, right? And that's not a perfect definition, but that's kind of my summary of it. So thoughts on is that uh, 60-40 portfolio back based on where rates are at? Yes and no. Um, I think that the idea of bringing fixed income back into a, a, a balanced portfolio, yeah, I think it, I, I think, you know, you'd be silly now not to to have fixed income or be including that in part of your portfolio. You know, is it back to the way it was, you know, 20 years ago? Probably not. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that having fixed income in a portfolio, you know, even for growth investors, it, it just makes sense to do so. Yeah, I want to say 20 plus years ago when I started this business, the efficient frontier models, all those things were kind of the, the thing you did. That's what I was sure. taught. Uh, for the last 10 years, I have not, I mean, honestly, December of this last year was the first time I have bought bonds for my clients mm-hmm. in probably 10 years. Uh, I found other solutions. And now you're seeing when the clients come in and they go down the street and get a CD for over 4%, and we haven't seen those rates for ever, although I don't think historically they're great rates. Sure. But, you know, for, for the last 10 years, they're fantastic. And people, are, their eyes are opening to different ideas. So we have to incorporate the fixed income side again, and I'm happy to do so. You, you know, and I think and I think fixed income, you know, for the last 10, 15 years was poor investments for two reasons. One, they provided no income. Right. And two, it was a poor investment from a return standpoint. And right. so I think that, you know, even for your, you know, for your income investors, I mean, we look to equity markets, you know, dividends right. or other alternative ways to generate income. And then certainly, you know, you know, from a return standpoint, it was equities all the way. But now you can say with the Fed raising rates like they have, even, even if they, you know, go on a hold for a while, you know, rates are up there pretty good, you know, and, you know, you're going to get some income, even if even if there's no more appreciation or not appreciation right, right now, you're going to get paid while you wait. Right. There was a report, they, you know, they come out and they, they give their estimate of what the Fed's going to do, and they, they predict they're going to raise rates this Wednesday by 25 bips. In that report, the folks that make their guesses said that they were going to have rate decreases by the end of the year. And that's right. the, that's in the report, which I think is kind of interesting. I'm not sure I believe that or buy that. But if you look at the way I'm investing for, 
you know, getting that 40%, if you will, just whatever percent of bonds back in the portfolio, I am definitely staying short because I think this is a weird market with lots of stuff going on with the Fed and inflation and potential recession down the road and on and on. So you can get short-term rates about the same as you can long-term rates. And for our clients, if you go into a bond that's 10-year paying five and a half, to get that five and a half, you have to stay in the 10 years, but you can get five for a one year. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. much more, much better right now adding short term. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense unless you think rates are go- going to start dropping and consistently drop. It doesn't right. make sense to go out really long term. Right. Right. I mean, you're not getting one, you're not getting paid to do it. And two, you're going to look back if rates climb a little bit further and be like, well, shoot, right. Your value of your holdings going to have gone down and you could get a better rate down the down the road. So um, I, it definitely has changed things. Where I kind of fall on this is the Fed is so stinking involved these days and everything is so manipulated that, okay, even if it's back today, like for how long yeah. and how long can we rely on that and how how much can we trust in that rates are back in kind of a normal range and they'll be maintained there and the, bo- the market won't be manipulated again when we need to for whatever economic reasons. And I feel like you just can't really depend on it. And you might say, yeah, it's back now. And then six, 12 months from now, it might be out of favor again because something crazy happens and they cut rates. Or, right? right. And so right. it's just there's no like, hey, it's back and we're good for the next decade. It's right. kind of like we'll take it quarter by quarter yeah. and see. And see. Um, so I know it's just different world. It's a different world that we live in. If you think back on like how pensions and endowments used to invest, right? It used to be so heavily fixed income related, right? Yield producing vehicles. Now you look at it because of what's happened in the fixed income market. You see all these reports on how, how much, like how many alternatives that pensions and Mm -hmm. and endowments are investing in because they can allocate to treasuries and, you know, triple A rated bonds because they don't produce enough yield. Um, so things are just changing. And I think clients, you know, whoever you work with, however you invest, if you do it yourself, you work with an advisor, you just have to know that there are going to be things that make sense today that may not make sense in a year. And you're going to have to ebb and flow with kind of the it's environment. It's a fluid situation. Yeah, it's fluid, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, and that there are pros and cons to everything that you do, whether it's fixed income, equities, products, structured products, whatever it may be. You know, in, in many of our portfolios, especially in our ALR models, you know, we're kind of like John was saying – you know, we're taking a barbell approach with some of our fixed in- income in that, you know, we're, we're going to the short end of the curve to taking advantage of that. But then we're kind of skipping over the intermediate and going out a little bit further to lock in some of those better rates just to make sure because we don't know. Yeah. We're hedging our bets a little bit there. So, you know, and what many of our clients may know, you know, and one of the reasons why the equity markets have, have struggled over the last several months is that, you know, as rates have gone up, you know, people have left the equity markets, which are risk on, and they have moved their monies into treasuries where they could get fixed four or five percent with risk off, assuming no risk. And so I think that's going to flip back at some point. And right now, I kind of think we're just in that transition period of waiting and seeing. And of course, you know, John, as you said, the Fed meets in two days to, to decide it. And I think the consensus is it'll be 25 basis points and, and then hopefully they're going to pause and just let hope the so. last year's worth of rates right. begin to hit the economy this summer and into the fall. Yeah, I think the Fed is in a corner, and I think they've backed themselves in the corner. And I'm going to give you guys a stat here just to give you a, something I look at. The Fed, before the panic of 2008, 
The Fed had total assets of about $875 billion, okay? And this is money for the banks. As of Wednesday last week, its assets were over $8.6 trillion. Now, what have they done with that? You know, they used that to pay their, their banks. And when the rates were at quarter percent, right. or whatever mm-hmm. that was, free money to the Fed, basically. Bank, now that we're getting above 4%, the banks are making over 4% on the money in reserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the banks are actually making 4.65% at last, last look. Um, the Fed is going to be in a trouble because now, now they don't have – they're not making money to pay their debts. They, and even the debts they've issued, they don't have the – the money from the they don't have the money to pay the banks right yeah. the fed uh, this goes back to a point i made earlier the fed is just so involved and they they manipulate and control so many different things and they're involved in things that we probably aren't even aware of right and yeah. what they they yeah. look at and they control and you know the fed funds rate is kind of interesting you know it's not like a mandated rate right right banks can still on the overnight exchange sure. can right. still negotiate what rates they want to charge each other However, so the Fed's going to come out and say, let's, you know, so let's say the rate's 4%. That's not, a, that's not a fixed rate that the banks have to charge. But the Fed, to your point, I think, is the Fed also controls the money supply. So the Fed can control well, how much money supply is there. So maybe these banks have the ability to negotiate, but they're hamstrung with how much money is the Fed giving them to work with, right? right. And so right. it's just... I'm a big I'm a big proponent. And this is kind of getting off topic. Maybe we can get into this in a future podcast. But I wish the the Fed would just kind of step aside, right, and get out of the way in a lot of ways, and let oh. let the free market and capitalism and markets like do their job and work Amen. the way they're supposed to. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, it feels like we're almost beyond that, and I just I don't know if we're ever going to get back to that point. And you know, it'd be painful if we were sure. just because of everything. that <laughs> Nobody done. wants to be. A part of that. Nobody wants to be the make the this nobody make yeah. the decision to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, any any final thoughts on? Well, one last thing. I was listening to a podcast. We were talking about this this morning on a podcast that we all listened to, and Rick Edelman was on there talking about um, kind of the same thing a little bit. Is the sixty forty portfolio back? And he was saying, well, it's yes, but it's probably still like the 70, 30, 80, 20. And I right. think there's a lot of truth to that, yeah. right? So right. even if you're a believer that, yes, the 60, 40 is back, I think for various reasons, it may not be 60, 40. Maybe the old 60, 40 investor is is a 75, 25 mm-hmm. or an 80, 20. Um, I think there's still a lot of reasons to say you should have more invested in equities, um, less in fixed income and be less dependent on that for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about today. Right. So any final parting words or thoughts on this conversation, guys? No, it was a exciting weekend, you know, as far as banks go. Um, Fed meets this week. You know, we're, we're, we're going to the dog days. We're beginning the dog days of summer from a market's perspective. You know, the cliche, sell in May and go away. You know, we'll see if that that happens this year you know we got a lot of earnings the next two weeks so it'll be interesting to see how things play out but no good start to the week yeah john anything no thanks for having me this has been fantastic yeah we're we're excited john i feel like a star is born Uh, i don't know if that's (laughs) true but i'm glad one of us feels that way yeah so um (laughs) no john will be a regular on the podcast um we'll rotate through all of the advisors here and you know we just Love talking to you guys. If you ever have questions, thoughts, comments, feel free to reach out. And as always, we want to end with a thought of the day. So this is from Jill Stern. Do you guys know who that is? I do not. I have no idea. 
Jill Stern. Okay, so some super famous person, Jill Stern, <laughs> once said, "Both optimist and pessimist contribute to our society. The optimist invents the airplane, and the pessimist the parachute." I like that. That's a good one. Pretty All right, fantastic. both are needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Well, as always, we appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-1financial.com disclosures.